Habara Gotti said that's her closet. <laughs> Happy Black History Month, everybody. I feel like between the two of us, you're probably not going to find many people more excited about February of every year. Now, Dr. Joy really gets the icing on the cake because this is her birthday month. It's her baby's birthday month, too. Carefully crafted during February. Um, but Black History Month is so, so, so special to us. And to me, it's like an energizing time. There's so much good information, so much good content. Um, and we are both huge history buffs and we just totally soak it up. Yes, you know, this is my month. I don't work the month of February um, <laughs> anymore. Praise God. Um, but this is fun work. So I am happy to be here. I'm going to kick things off. Let's get into it. It's Black History Month. I got on my Kenta. Yeah. You got on your pin. Okay. Hi. Yes. So, um, and we're going to talk more about this dress in one of your segments. Okay. <laughs> so we really wanted to do City Girl Sermon to kind of go, when I think about, you know, Tia, Dr. Tia asked me, like, what do I think about when I think about Black History Month? And I will say, growing up in a Baptist church, the hymn celebration selection every Black History Month was lift every voice and sing. And there was no feeling of pride like when your whole church is standing up and singing this song. And so this is what I really look forward to every February. And it's been COVID. So obviously I have not been in nobody's church and I'm a germaphobe. But this February, I'm going back to the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church and I'm going to bring my baby with her mask on. So we're going to be doing this this year. All right. So we will start with the words of James Weldon Johnson this awesome poem that turned into a song that actually was initially sang by school children. James Weldon Johnson left the South, moved to New York, thought nothing of it. It was for a specific program for Lincoln's birthday back in 1900. Literally these school children grew up to become teachers and they kept spreading the word of this song. And this is how we are as black people. We are griots, we are about that oral language. And they spread the song all over the South. James Weldon Johnson did not even distribute the song. But look at how powerful it is that we all really know it. So I just want to start with those words for our City of Girls sermon, and we'll also close with it today. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march, march on till victory is won. I just felt like I was that's, in an African-American oratorical contest just now. <laughs> that's so beautiful. So I was one of those school children. We sang this song every morning. We sang mm. it with every assembly. Um, and I, we didn't think anything of it. Like I went to a very Habarigani elementary school, baby. <laughs> um, you know, we had an African-American female principal, you know, we had teachers from all different backgrounds, but it, we had African-American teachers. Uh, my fifth grade teacher was a black woman. We had a teacher who was a history teacher, but who also like, she was kind of like our cultural compass um mm -hmm. she led the kwanzaa ceremonies and we had this thing called speak out where each class would perform some sort of written uh, i mean oral presentation and so she was over that and so that you know a lot of times we would perform you know um poems or songs from african-american writers and historic figures so 
it was it was a lot of that. It was giving. It was giving. It, it was giving HBCU at the elementary school level. And what school I was the name of your school? My school was in Southeast Queens in a neighborhood called Cambria Heights. It was PS one seventy six. So oh, it was a public school. Oh, that's public dope. school. Yep. So so I um, went to a private like kindergarten and pre K. This was a whole like battle in my family because my brother got to stay until third grade, but it was a <laughs> private school named Ivy Leaf and. We, it was very, it was black owned. It was all black everything. Like I, you know, I knew so much black history by the time I was five, but I went to a public school that was, I was literally bust. Talk about black <laughs> history. I was integrating a school <laughs> in the Northeast of Philadelphia, even though I was living in the Northwest of Philadelphia. And I honestly was just like, social studies was like mind boggling. I was like, where are all the black people in the book? I literally like asked that question. I used to get in trouble a lot. Cause I'm like, excuse me. Uh, the Native Americans aren't here. The Black people are not in this textbook. What is going on? But it just goes to show how important like having Black educators are um, because they are the literally the foundation of a lot of us who have been able to continue in education. Yeah. I mean, I love that so much. I, I think of, you know, when Black History Month comes around, it's a time to celebrate. You know, mm -hmm. it feels really good. It feels welcoming. It feels important that our contributions to this country are acknowledged in this way um, and acknowledged amongst ourselves. But, you know, it's a time when corporations get involved, when institutions get involved and they feel obligated to present something. I think, again, that's, you know, it's not perfect. It's not all of the information that I think I want Americans or, you know, our children to have. There's so much more, but I think it's this very important you know, time or reflective time to remember and to yeah. celebrate, you know, it's the remembrance is, is big too, because I think you see with, you know, the criticisms of critical race theory and anything mm. that can be villainized will be, but it's important to be honest about our history and our presence in this country is due to a very, you know, disturbing past. And we can't, um, you know, kind of, divorce ourselves from that and, and and what has even you know continued to this day so that remembering part is is super huge to me and then it's also a time for discovery i feel like you know there's usually so much programming this is when pbs gets in their <laughs> bag baby you know npr you know anything with henry lewis gates on it i'm all over it you know he puts out a new series of finding your roots or whatever you know because for so long we were disconnected from that and so to be able to you know rediscover things rediscover contributions re we discover, you know, actual history that happened, but unfortunately has been hidden from us, I think is always going to be a win. Definitely. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All right. So I got my Kente on. Let's talk origin stories. So we know that all Black people, everybody comes from Africa. But a lot of our origin stories as girlfriends was, you know, we met in New York City, obviously, but we actually really forged our relationship when we were in Ghana. So we did want to kind of give you guys a taste of like, what it was like not only living together in Ghana and traveling in Ghana, because we had a girl, it was, let's talk about hot girl summer. Nice. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a good hot girl harbor time. Okay. So <laughs> I really want to, um, you know, I want you to talk about the medicine and the things that we saw. Cause I think that was the first time I had ever seen maternal mortality and the things that, you know, we take for granted in the U S it was just a very different um, existence. So yeah. Well, I'm going to just interject really quickly because I think it could be important 
in terms of what we discussed with our medicalese term for this episode. Mm. You know, our medicalese is for today, the term we want you to know and get familiar with is disparity. And disparity, essentially, if you look it up in a dictionary, it just means differences. And in medicine, it's used a lot in terms of differences in outcomes. Sometimes it's differences in predisposition to disease or if two people from different categories, whether that's race, class, religion, you know, language spoken, if they have the same medical condition, they may have different outcomes. And why is that? And why would that be? And so this is an area of medicine that, you know, and, and social science that we've studied extensively, that we pay a lot of attention to because it affects not only us, but our patients and our girlfriends. And so, you know, a lot of people around us. So when you hear the term disparity, it really means that, you know, for whatever reason, and there can be multifactorial, um, but two different groups are being compared against each other and they have different outcomes. And we attribute a lot of that to the treatment of those groups um, and how they're treated in society and what kind of opportunities um, and resources they have. And unfortunately, that does create unfair outcomes. You know, when we think back to our time meeting as like young medical students, before we were even officially physicians, because we had the graduated. The last two in, months, the last yeah, two months of medical school. We were in Ghana and, you know, we got to see, you know, being exposed to healthcare in the U.S., and then having a peek into rural healthcare in Ghana. Um, and it really afforded us a lot of just opportunities to see things, one that we've never seen before, to really grow in our clinical acumen because you don't have big CT scans. You're not going to get blood work back the same day. You need to know how to rely on, you know, your clinical skills um, and your medical knowledge to help. And so that was a, a huge, huge factor there, you know, thinking about the, we spend a lot of time on the maternity ward because we both knew that we were going into obstetrics and gynecology um, and doing surgeries and hearing stories from our, you know, Ghanaian girlfriends. And it was, it was a life-changing experience for sure. I think, you know, we saw amazing things and were able to be part of beautiful and amazing things. And then we saw things that were really troubling and really hard for us to process as like such young physicians. Um, so yeah, tell me a story, Dr. Joy. Well, first this dress. This is actually the dress I wore to graduation. Oh <laughs> my gosh. School. I can't believe really it's zipped up, but it's zipped up. Look at God. Um, but honestly, I think for me, Ghana was, Oh my gosh, it was like 10 years ago, literally. Um, and that's crazy to even think about. Crazy. I know for me as an OBGYN, um, it transformed how I like understood myself as an OBGYN. Kind of like, you know, I think it's one thing when you're, you know, you have all these things, you know, the CT scans, like you said, like all these different tools at your fingertips, these orders you could just type in and then poof, it's done. You get a result. You don't even see the patient go like, but it's another thing was like, you have to lay your hands on these patients and figure out what could it be? What is going on? What is wrong? What is that? You know, do you have an infection? Why are you not getting better? All those different things, the complications that we saw, um, it was different in terms of fixing it. And, you know, me as a fixer in medicine, it was very like different. And what I do remember though, is having to, there was a time that I remember when we were together that I had to um a patient needed a c-section and like you know there was no doctor around like you know it was just really confusing about who was supposed to do the c-section but i just knew i was like she needs her c-section and she was saying she had to feel the baby move and like i'm trying to go 
run her down the like you know literally the around the campus they're like okay let's find the one yeah. out machine like okay the baby's heart rate is not that fast okay i need yeah. to call somebody like it's not like in america where you pull an alarm everybody goes like good <laughs> like it was not like that it was so many steps and i just thank god that like that baby's heart be held on because it probably took like an hour from then which is like unheard mm -hmm. of and in, in mm -hmm. our you know the way we do clinical science here yeah. But we got that baby out, and the baby had a very long course in the NICU. But it was important for us to see that, like, you know, we have time on our side here. And so mm -hmm. that's why when I think about the Black maternal mortality crisis we're having, is like we have all this time and we still waste it. You know what I mean? Like on not listening to the patient. You yeah, know? It, so, it's time, it's resources, and it's also, you know, um, it's attitudes. You know, attitudes about who's worthy, attitudes about... Um, you know, the feasibility of your complaint, you know, are you really in pain or do you want medication or are you really, you know, is there some sort of secondary gain instead of just taking it for face value? And so that's, that's something that definitely can work against us despite having all of the resources and time and money and million dollar NICUs and ICUs. But that's the thing of the melting pot. We act like, oh, it's the yeah. melting pot or some people are stuck at the bottom of the pot getting burnt and other people are like, you know, swirling around. And I, you know, that's the hard part for me is that like, you know, that was one thing I do like about Ghana and Africa in general. When I tell people I'm a physician and I'm in Africa, they're like, oh, okay, great. Here it's like, oh, like what? You know, like people don't really think that I'm a physician because I don't quote unquote look like a physician here. But when you, if you imagine when you go to African countries, most of the doctors are from Africa and look like, you mm -hmm. know, the patients that they serve. And so that was always, I feel like the privilege I always felt is that I really felt like a doctor when I was in Africa. No one ever questioned me. It was like, oh yes, mm -hmm. I'm a doctor. Okay, yeah, it's great. What do you practice? Like nothing, like no, you know, shock, no like, <gasps> what? And it just mm -hmm. felt comfortable because I feel like I could be my true self. Like, yes, I'm Dr. Cooper. And so when I went back as a resident, I went with one of, one of my girl, MD girlfriends, um, Dr. Shanice Loudon in Philadelphia. Shout out to her. She's at Temple <laughs> University. She's an excellent OBGYN. We went to medical school together at Howard. So if you're in Philly and you need a Black OBGYN, hit her up. But Dr. Shanice and I, we did a sub um, internship or not self-internship, that's in medical school, sorry. We did a, like a, a lecture. Like a lecture. Mm -hmm. So we basically were just literally in the same rural town of a palm that we did uh, originally. And it was crazy because we saw, I'll never forget the biggest case I saw that was really like just out of my mind. It was an emergency, like abdominal pregnancy. So it wasn't an ectopic where, it's an ectopic, it's a type of ectopic. Um, ectopic pregnancy means that it's not inside the uterus, but it was like in the fallopian tube or anything like that. It literally was in the abdomen. And this patient got transferred to us from another hospital where she thankfully got transfused because blood is not, it's very hard to come by. She got transfused like five units on the way to coming to us and essentially had five liters of blood in her abdomen. So pretty much like- But were you were in- you were in a palm hospital? Yes, we, the patient was transferred there because we have an OBGYN. Oh, um, so severe issues, you know, and yeah. outcomes, unfortunately. I mean, I'm just glad that a palm was a place where they had basically made a pivot to having an OBGYN as the, like, right. the head of the hospital because him being there was like, okay, I can intervene. It's not as easy sometimes for a general surgeon or a general practitioner to handle something like that because it's straight abdominal surgery. But we got, I mean, the baby was literally the size of like this size, basically, like the mm -hmm. size of a pen, essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, we saved this woman's life. Like, and honestly, um, 
the, whoever gave her the blood really saved her life because she had to get all the way to us so that we could even do surgery. Yeah. And that's, that's when so I realized, cool. like, even just the, you know, when you need, I was watching Blood Sister um, from on Netflix, which is a really good show. Oops, blood and water. Sorry. So in South Africa about, um, you know, these two girls, but someone needed blood. And it was like, who's a match? Like, you know, in most African countries, if you want to give blood, you either have to be a match for them or you have to donate into the blood bank so they can take yeah. blood for your family members. That's what Not I remember. Just... Like, have family come to, to provide some so that you can get out. Exactly. So when you think about the gun violence that we have and how much our community utilizes blood banks, just to be mm -hmm. honest, I work at a trauma hospital now and you see how much like blood is just, you know, it's ubiquitous and it's necessary, you know? Because yeah, well, don't forget the blood typing and blood banking system was discovered by a black man in this country, Dr. Charles yeah. R. Drew. Yeah. So don't you forget your history. Also, was that Howard? Who was that Howard? <laughs> of medicine, yes. But it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's cool to just kind of, reminisce on the times that we've had and you know think about contributions going forward you know mm. particularly during black history you know i know that you've done an amazing amount of work in you know bridging the gap with daughters of the diaspora and continuing to you know try to work and address disparities here in the u.s with our culture care um, and so I think that's incredible. I applaud you, Dr. Joy. Um, I love Black History Month for us. We get to fully live in our glory and remember our times on the continent and here in the U.S. Yeah. and throughout the diaspora. We've been to South America. We've been through Europe. And we always find ways to connect there. And I'm telling you guys, the feeling and the family is the same. Mm -hmm. um, so don't, you know, don't pass that up. Don't give that up. It's, you know, we have a very unique bond. We have a very unique culture and contribution to this world. And it deserves to be celebrated. And in medicine and outside of. I feel like people, I'm glad you brought up Charles Drew because people forget about what we've done actually in Absolutely. science, you know. And I think that's a perfect segue to our Around the Way Girl segment yes so you know we love to do this around the way girl because listen we're around the way girls okay Dr. See, I got my bamboo. bamboo earrings at least two pairs she's ready um <laughs> <laughs> but you know i think out of some of our more modern heroes you know we wanted to just hype dr kazmikia corbett who was, you know, a, a very important part of developing the COVID-19 vaccine for Moderna. And so you may remember two years ago, and there was such a flurry um, about vaccine. And, you know, I hope that she got as much recognition at that time as she deserved, because this was incredible. Mm -hmm. This was, you know, making a, a significant contribution, not only in our country, but to humanity. And this was a Black woman, a Black scientist, a Black researcher at the helm. Um, so we definitely wanted to just give it up for her because, listen, that's, you know, if there is anything else that can solidify our contribution to this world at this time, mm. it was Dr. Corbett's contribution. So I think that's great. And one of my favorite saying is, who will save but a Black woman? <laughs> a Black woman be saving the earth, like. All the time. Oh, I have this sweatshirt that's like, when Black women do well, we all do well. And I think, you know, truer words cannot be spoken because, you know, we are very um, disregarded in current I society. I told you about the melting pot. We're on that bottom. 
That could and, be and I think, you know, when you create an environment where we're able to excel, it mm -hmm. automatically ensures that everybody will do well. So continue to have those investments. We will continue to invest in our way. We're so proud of our girlfriends. And that's it. Well, yeah, that is our episode. I just wanted to close just the way we started. And really, um, recently, this uh, was actually saying the song, Lift Every Voice and Sing, was actually saying in Ghana, when a lot of people of the diaspora were actually um, officially made citizens of Ghana, which is a special track, which I got to figure out how to get on that. But I do want to close with the words of James Weldon Johnson, just as we started, because that is our City Girl sermon, because we hope that you guys all lift up every voice and sing, no matter what your industry is, no matter what you do um, as a Black person, lift every voice and sing. So the last words go, shadow beneath thy hand, may we forever stand, true to our God, true to our native land. Thanks so much for coming to the MB Girlfriends Experience. And here's where to find us. I am Dr. Tia Jackson Bay. I'm a board certified obstetrician, gynecologist, and infertility specialist. The long name for that is reproductive endocrinology and infertility is my field. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York, and you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Tia Jackson Bay. Hi, I'm Dr. Joy Cooper. I am a board certified obstetrician gynecologist based in the Bay Area of California. I am currently not seeing patients in person anymore. I'm completely 100% telehealth. You can find me at Culture Care. Our website is OURculturecare.com because we do it for the culture, our culture. We are a telemedicine startup that is connecting Black women with Black physicians at the cost of a copay. So if you would love to see me and you're based in California and New York shortly, you can just go on our website and see me. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe and check out our website, mdgfexp.com. Have a great one, girlfriends.